This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 36 of the Stable Scoop Show on the Horse Radio Network. Vet Talk with Dr. Parrott. We would like to thank our sponsor, Equestrian Collections. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. You can visit them at equestriancollections.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop calls. It's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Well, Helena, are you very excited? Helena is making her way down here to Lexington at the end of this week for her first visit to Rolex. I am. I'm very excited. I'm excited that the weather is going to be beautiful. Yeah, it looks good, actually. So far, knock on wood. It can change down in Kentucky. They say if you don't like the weather, uh, come back in five minutes. Yeah, they say that about New England, too. Yeah, <laughs> Only I think the weather change down there is a little bit more tolerable yeah, than the weather yeah, changes up here. That's true, except for the tornadoes and things like stop, that. Stop, 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 okay? <laughs> stop, because then I just won't come. <laughs> now we are looking forward to having you staying here at the house, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to have you over and spend a little bit of time with you watching cross-country and stadium jumping. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't know if I'm more excited to hang out with my best horsey friend, Jen, or if I am more excited to see Rolex. Because, well, we'll you know, just there's, equally just, excited. there's nothing quite like hanging out with your best pal talking about all things horses. Horses. And, you know, there's no better place to do that than in Lexington, Kentucky. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I wanted to mention to everybody that we have our Rolex coverage this week. We are doing extensive coverage, probably more than anybody else has ever done for Rolex. Uh, that's over on the Eventing Radio Show at eventingradio.com. We are doing daily podcasts starting on Wednesday through Sunday. We'll be doing uh, putting out podcasts each night with interviews of all the riders and people that are there and fun interviews and then uh, Chris and I will be doing a daily wrap-up show with a with a rider every night talking about the events of the day and what the scores are and keeping you up to date that way in addition the United States Equestrian Association we're working with them they're going to do video of activities during the day and of the press conference at night they have a press conference for the riders or the press every night and then they're going to record our daily wrap-up show so that'll be put out in video form every night and then also we are doing, yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff here. We have a ex-professional eventer from England who is joining us to do a live blogging format called Cover It Live. She'll be actually doing play-by-play all day long that you can follow on our website. Uh, so she'll be talking about the rides and what's going on. We can't provide video because because of the uh, restrictions that NBC has on their coverage, but she will be doing live blogging all day, and you can interact, you can talk with her, discuss your favorite riders. It's just going to be like this rolling forum all day long. Cool. So, so that'll be a lot of fun, That's and that starts Wednesday at, at around noontime. So check that out, Wednesday the 22nd at eventingradio.com. 
And Helena, who do we have with us today? We have Dr. Brian Parrott, and uh, we're going to talk to him. He's obviously the star of our Ask the Vet show. Um, Dr. Parrott hails from the North Shore. He's from my area. He received his DVM from Tufts University School of Veterinary Medicine back in 1987. And since graduating from vet school, he's been an equine practitioner, like I said, in Boston's North Shore. Um, And in 1991, he founded... Um, Parrot Equine Associates, which has three practicing veterinarians, and their special interest is sports medicine, but of course they provide um, overall health care to horses of all kinds, um, eventers, dressage horses, hunter jumpers, backyard horses, you name it. Um, Brian's professional, Dr. Parrot, his professional interest includes sports medicine, lameness, podiatry, which I can attest to, he's fabulous, um, reproduction, and dentistry. Uh, Dr. Parrott has contributed his expertise to publications such as Practical Horseman, and he provides lectures um, every now and again on equine health. I know he's done some great work with the MSPCA up here. He is a native of Rockport, Massachusetts. He grew up riding and caring for horses, and in his free time, he enjoys polo and fox hunting. So he's real cool in my book. All right, cool. And we'll get to Dr. Parrott. We have a lot of questions for him, so and, and some that were submitted by the listeners that we want to get to. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Just wanted to mention to everybody, don't forget that uh, you can sign up for our giveaway. We have some cool stuff this month. We have a, a $75 gift certificate from Equestrian Collections, and we do appreciate Equestrian Collections donating that. You can choose from their whole universe of Equestrian products uh, right there at equestriancollections.com. And the second item is from EasySignsOnline.com, and they are a leading farm sign company in America. They have donated three custom stall plates. Three winners will get a personalized stall plate from EasySignsOnline.com. You can use them for your horse's stall, for your doghouse, for uh, whatever. Uh, just get whatever you put one on it. They're customized and come in a multitude of colors. And we thank EasySignsOnline.com for donating those. To sign up, go to StableScoop.com. Just on the right-hand column, you'll see a place to sign up to win. It's free. It's easy. Just go in there and register, and we'll pick a winner at the end of the month. So don't forget to uh, do that. Also wanted to mention that, uh, as everybody probably knows, the World Cup just ended uh, out there in Las Vegas for dressage and show jumping. And Equestrian Life has some great videos done by my co-host, Chris Stafford, from the uh, Venting Radio Show. Uh, And she got to interview a lot of the leading riders. So you can check those out at equestrianlife.com. Go go to, uh, right in the homepage, it says World Cup. And you can find the videos from that. And we're going to get to Dr. Parrott in just a moment. I thought we'd get all the business out of the way, Helena, and then we'll just start right in with our questions. We won't have to be interrupted. Oh, business, business, business. I know. One more piece of business, and that is our sponsor, Equestrian Collections. Helena, they do the coolest stuff. All right. This is good business. This is the kind of business business. I That's right. This is the kind we actually get paid for, and we encourage (laughs) all our listeners to please support our our, uh, sponsors. That's the reason we can bring you these shows and bring you people like Dr. Parrott and the conversations that we have. Uh, You know, I wanted to say that uh, Equestrian Collections does bring the whole universe. They have tons of stuff on their website. Tons, tons, tons. I know, tons. She says at any given day they have over $100 million of product for you to choose from. I didn't even know there was that much horse product out there. Oh, yeah. 
And you know what? Writing takes up a lot of your time, and Equestrian Collections is open, obviously, 24-7 at equestriancollections.com. And their technology is so cool. I mean, you can check out in no time. They, they do a great job with their technology. They're one of the best in the industry as far as that's concerned. Uh, so you, you, you'll have an easy experience on their website. But they did the coolest thing I got last week. I don't know if you know it, but it's my birthday on Friday. And, like, two, three days ago, I got an email from Equestrian Collection saying, Happy Birthday. So at some point in the registration process, I must have put in my birthday. I don't even remember that. But I got an email from them saying, Happy Birthday. Here's a $10 gift certificate that I could use on anything I wanted for any amount I wanted. In other words, if I had just bought $10 worth of stuff, it wasn't $10 on $100 or more. It was $10. $10 off anything. That's, I like yep. that. Simple uh, and and just because it was my birthday. And I'll tell you what, I don't, I, you don't get that kind of thing from anybody else. No. That's the kind of people they are over there. They care about you. They care about your horses. And uh, you know that just impressed the heck out of me. So we encourage you to stop by Equestrian Collections. And you know what? When you do, go to equestriancollections.com and you're checking out. Put a little note in there that you heard about Equestrian collections here on the stable scoop radio show we're big fans even if they didn't pay us i'd be a big fan that's right a big fan before that's That's how they came to be a sponsor we were big fans we were big fans and they they we actually had them on the show before they were uh before they were sponsors that's how much we believe in them all right well let's get to dr parrot you already did his introduction he's a really cool veterinarian from the north part of massachusetts did i get that right yeah yep all right let's say dr parrot Northeastern. Okay, let's say hi to Dr. Parrott. Hi, Dr. Parrott. Thank you so much for joining us on Stable Scoop today. Oh, you're welcome, it's, it's very nice to be on this show. Yeah, Glenn and I are finally, we're, we're pleased to have an expert because he and I have been pretending to be experts for the past six months. <laughs> so hey, wait nice a minute. To have someone in official capacity. <laughs> um, I think you think I'm an expert. I'm not sure how many of my colleagues will consider that. but. <laughs> well, let's uh, see what happens. Let's ask you some questions first, and then they can we can answer that. So the questions we have for you today, Dr. Parrott, are about horse care in general. Um, and But before we get on to that... Um, some of our listeners may know or, or they may not that um, there was an unfortunate tragedy in Florida uh, in the last day or so, and it had to do with the deaths of some polo ponies. Uh, what do you know about that, and, and what are your thoughts on the situation? Well, it uh, certainly sounds like an awful tragedy uh, anytime you lose a, uh, a number of horses and uh, so suddenly and for no uh, apparent reason, it, it brings a, a great deal of concern to the whole horse community. But, um, in a situation like this, um, I just uh, I, I know that the owners, the uh, uh, caretakers of those animals, <clears throat> the professionals that ride them are, are probably extremely distraught. And of course, the whole horse community is going to feel this. Um, my first thought is that um, everybody needs to be um, compassionate, uh, not lay blame, and be patient because the, with that many animals, the, a uh, clinical diagnosis will be able to be made. It just it will take a little bit of time and a little bit of investigation. And from what I've read, um, excellent people are uh, truly involved with the whole case, uh, right from the veterinarian that was involved uh, immediately at the polo side, uh, Dr. Paul Wallerman and his practice, Palm Beach Equine Clinic, had to deal with these cases immediately, <clears throat> and they did all the right things 
So I've received information about their hard work in uh, trying to uh, save the animals as well as um, get the informa- uh, get the information, meaning the doing the tests that are necessary to to find out the cause of the deaths of the animals. And they're working directly with the Florida uh, the Florida State um, Agricultural. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what agency, but the the agricultural um, agency of the state and uh, very closely with them. And I'm sure uh, they will be working with the federal um, groups to toxicology samples and tissue samples uh, very, very closely. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure that the University of Florida School of Veterinary Medicine will be involved in it as well. So um, they're doing all the right things, and that just takes the information to be gathered, and they're being very smart and thoughtful about not um, giving any information that isn't complete and uh, true information so it doesn't start rumors. Right. Now, are there aren't the same regulations in the sport of polo as there are in other equestrian sports. Um, does that have any um – are there, uh, besides obviously the sadness and um, and the financial loss, are there any other repercussions uh, of, well, you know, uh, what is the governing body? Is the U.S. Polo Association involved? Who Who is the equestrian um, body that might be overseeing the um, this situation? Um, the United States Polo Association, a uh, very uh, strong and uh, very well-run group, um, have the uh, sport of polo, the animals, um, all at the best interest. And they're the ones that try to develop uh, a um, criteria, uh, rules, regulations for the sport, um, keeping in mind foremost the um, health uh, and well-being of the horse. Keep the sport going and perpetuate it. But they um, uh, and they and they work very very hard to try to give polo and do the right things that make polo um, not seem like a sport that is abusive to animals or to the horses, and they they do a good job. Um, it's a private agency, and um, there are um, probably. In the competition world, less regulations when it comes to medication, but um, all other aspects of it, the uh, cleanness of the sport, um, the as far as um, having referees, um, people that oversee that the animals are not getting injured and um, that people are playing the sport. The, so it is regulated from one perspective. The, um, there is less re- regulation when it comes to medications, and, and um, USPA um, sanctioned events. There's language that um, states that animals should not be uh, mistreated, abused, um, and probably medicated. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I would need to consult with the rule books. Uh, USBA rule books first, but my thought is is that that uh, is their intent, and the problem comes from regulating um, 
the lack of people to regulate uh, sanctioned events on, on, on all levels, you know, medications and so forth. So, like in the U.S., in the HSA, uh, there are very strict regulations that have been adopted across, and they, and the governing bodies, um, U.S. Uh, states as well as federal, have accepted that they set the stand, uh, they they make the standards for rules and regulations. Yeah, and I'm not. And I so. think the thing that's hard, though, is you can have all these rules you want, but unless there's like thousands of people around the country to test for all of these things during all the different competitions. It's almost impossible. Uh, that's very true, and that's where the that's where the problems come from. So, you know, there's this is going to be looked at extremely hard from the USPA about uh, if there's any if there's any fault here of um, maliciousness um, um, or accidental drug abuse. Um, this will be looked at extremely hard and um, potentially, you know, um, action to make more strict regulations. If it's something other than that, then, um, you know, rules and regulations aren't going to change and may not be necessary. But um, I hope that it is. Um, yeah, I mean, they're still talking about it could be tainted food or vitamins or supplements or a combination right. of the three that caused the reaction. Um, it. It obviously had to be something they were all given at the same time for it to happen. All th That's just very unusual. Um, for the same group of animals. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, all at the same time, and, and it's so quickly. I mean, that's the other thing, is they, you know, it, it appears from what I'm seeing here that they, you know, they all they all went within a couple of hours of each other. That's um, right. You think of things like bacterial endotoxin, um, yeah. which could be food-borne, medication-borne, um, um, you know, it could have been in the water. So, yeah. even if even if um, the cause isn't, you know, it's because of somebody's carelessness, or I, it just doesn't feel like anybody intended for this to happen. You know, uh, right. we do things. We we all do things that aren't maybe the best we we have we follow old wives tales or we don't want to let go go of some like you said old school traditions and treating our horses and things like that and my guess is that happens in in polo as well but it doesn't every once in a great while something goes wrong and makes us look at those practices revisit them and hopefully change it get rid of it, it my feeling is just that this is one of those things that went horribly wrong it probably is done quite a bit and in this one case, it went really wrong. I mean, I guess, I don't know if I'm hopeful for that, but I, that's just my gut feeling. Well, I, I, um, I'm, I'm sure that the investigation will, um, will yield the underlying source and it will be well reported. And um, if there is any wrongdoing on behalf of uh, people uh, involved in the horses, I'm sure that that'll be, uh, they'll be um, prosecuted to the extent of the law. Yeah. All right, well, let's get on to a little bit uh, happier note, and that's uh, every all of our listeners' horse ailments. Is that a happier note? I don't know about that. Well, well not ailments. <laughs> just preventative health. Preventative health. Their ailments or their that horses' ailments? Because I got a whole list of their ailments. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't come out right. Let's start. Let's uh, just say, okay, so in your experience, Dr. Parrott, what are the top two mistakes that horse owners make in their health care program that really compromises their horse's overall good health 
Well, I, there are a few things, and I would say that, too, in my opinion, are that um, not having a working dialogue with their equine practitioner. Um, they, uh, my experience has been that um, clients just don't feel comfortable having an open dialogue with their veterinarian. And I have found that those people that do are ones that um, are, you know, easier people to work with. They learn much. They, they have a greater understanding of what I do. Uh, they make less mistakes. They uh, over time with their pets. And it likens itself to newborn moms with their newborn children. Some are, you know, are, are much more um, proactive about learning and communicating with authorities, and some are less. And those that are, um, do uh, you know, the animals are usually in excellent health. So that's where that's one of the biggest mistakes I see of horse owners is the horse owner that doesn't utilize their equine practitioner. And, and, and it shouldn't cost them money. They shouldn't be afraid that it, it does at the same time because most of us are very happy to educate our clients. They make them a much better client, a much, uh, um, and uh, when we are dealing with legitimate problems, um, they truly are legitimate problems and not um, because they're well-educated uh, because of our dialogue. I'll tell you what, my wife has, uh, she's, Helena will know this, Jennifer, uh, and you've worked with her actually in the past too, she's not afraid to ask a thousand questions. <laughs> no, and, it, and, it, and it's good, and if you, don't have, if you don't have a good relationship with your equine practitioner, go find one that you do, because there is just, there's so many avenues for doing that now too. I mean, you can pay for uh, verbal services, you know, consultation services now across the country, but establish a relationship that you're comfortable with doing so, and there's no excuse anymore not because we have so many means of communication. So that's the first. The second one is, um, and I had one other that is a uh, is, is up there too. But um, buying into gadgets, gizmos, and stuff <laughs> to make their horses better than they are, um, thinking that, and it's like us. You want to you want to be you're you're a runner. You want to be a good runner, and so you start buying into all kinds of devices that will make your running better, um, be it shoes or clothes or something else, and you're, you're really into that. And I find that a lot of people are just are really excited about taking chances with their dollar on trying stuff. Um, and it just takes a very simple marketing scheme to sell people stuff. So my biggest problem, or one of the biggest mistakes I see people doing is um, buying stuff, junk, trying it before consulting with authorities. Hmm. Like what's, give me an example of what, of junk. Junk. Um, uh, certain... Um, and things that could actually lead to some harm. Um, things like um, certain types of bug sprays, say. Yeah. Um, uh, food supplements. I was going to mention supplements. I, I, you know, you have to wonder supplements if we are, aren't over supplementing. I'm sure you probably think we are. <laughs> the supplements are one of the, you know, uh, one of the biggest um, money makers in 
animal nutrition, be it horses or any other, and there is, and they do extremely well because they have, um, they've become accepted. The the the, the air been bombarded with advertisements, and people after a while start to buy into it. Right. And there's sometimes there's a little bit of information that um, that's honest, true, and well researched, and. The biggest problem is that I see is that people then will take a little bit of information and something that works a little bit, and uh, they they uh, hope that it will have a panacea of effects. <clears throat> and I, I see I see people spending a gross amount of money on things that are really ultimately ineffective and just a fad. And we've seen it over time with all the products that are out there. From if we've been horses or other pets products for years and years. So um, I would say that's the second largest mistake a horse owner might have. Um, and you said again, you had a third in there that you wanted to squeeze in maybe. Yeah, and the other is a, um, it, it's more of a nutritional statement. Uh, the And because nutrition is such a big concern us, and we, we do that with our dogs and cats and horses as well, but assuming horses can live on just hay and grain alone uh, and making generalizations that one diet fits all or on the reverse that you have to have um, a, a very specialized nutritional program to support your horse. So there's at, at this uh, comes to nutrition for horses, the, beliefs that people, I hear the beliefs and questions that people have regarding nutrition. And um, there's just no, uh, there's not a simple answer to that. It takes time and understanding. This, again, are mistakes that people have, and they're afraid to ask their, their, the authorities, be it an an equine nutritionist, which are, we have a lot of them available now in uh, in North America, their equine practitioner, which is to start and um, very knowledgeable uh, horsemen who've been in the industry feeding horses themselves for years and years and years. And uh, so utilizing the biggest mistake a new horse owner may have is, is, is making assumptions, again, without um, research under- and understanding. Well, this actually, it's a good segue into the next question, which is uh, the whole topic of nutraceuticals. They are the latest for everybody. And you know, the drug companies are pushing their drugs and the supplement companies are pushing the supplements and nutraceuticals. Do any of these nutraceuticals for horses work? And in your opinion, which ones are the most effective? I know they're out there for uh, for joints, for their immune systems, for skin and hoof. What do you think um, about their effectiveness and, and which ones are effective? Uh, good. Uh, that's an excellent question. I, I question uh, several times a day. It's... it's uh... And I have a little bit of a mantra for it. But essentially, there is some evidence that some nutraceuticals work. And you really need to be specific about what agents um, of those nutraceuticals they are. Because there are nutraceuticals, by definition, are, you know, um, unregulated Items usually of consumptions or uh, of consumption or um, supplementation, and 
They have a variety. There's a variety of them. They're everything on, be it um, herbal um, um, uh, medications, um, uh, botanical. So, so therefore, botanicals. Um, there can be um, also these uh, more developed type of like um, glucosamine and chondroitin sulfates, which are you know, some of them are animal biacs. Uh, that are uh, are supposed to uh, be very much like the products that we own body, such as uh, our joint fluid. So when we talk about nutraceuticals, um, in, in there is some evidence. Some of them work. It's defining which of those that are beneficial, which ones have been really looked at closely to, uh, for the benefit of the animal. And biggest problem is is not to overly generalize about in unfortunately uh, like i say these nutraceuticals are defined that way they they just um they they have a they they would not be um they're not a, of a great to the uh, to uh, governing bodies like the FDA mainly because they don't have a significant um biological effect. If they did, if they, uh, they would possibly have potential of causing some harm, and uh, the FDA would look at those much more closely. So in general, my, my feeling is, is that nutraceuticals are, even if they do work, are probably of low potency, of, 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 of low value to an animal over a long period of time. And uh, I have a problem with most of them because of their extraordinary expense. The what you what you gain from the you put into it. Um, I don't I, I I don't know if you can really measure a cost benefit, um, but I have a general sense that there are products that are out there that can that are touted that are proven to work very well. Some of the nutraceuticals tout that they can do as effectively, and and essentially don't. So does that mean that uh, my wife and I, the times we used Kava Kava to quiet the horses down, we were doing damage to our poor little pony? I, I don't think they're probably doing damage. <laughs> Made him high. Um, <laughs> Kava Kava did? Oh, yeah, Kava Kava's a great thing. We had a hackney pony that was the was cr- absolutely crazy. And he had been shown, <laughs> and you know, he had gone through all the training that hackney ponies go through. And we found out later, after we bought him at an auction, that he was the Ohio State champion. And he was just, he, I loved him to death because he was so much fun to drive. He was like driving a Ferrari. Oh, and, yeah. But, but the, the farrier would refuse to work on him because he'd stand straight up on his hind legs the entire time. <laughs> I mean, he, and he was only about, you know, 12 and a half hands. He was a little thing. So we he used Kava. Oh, it was great. Because it, it, just, it made him just high enough. You know, it doesn't make him high. I sort of, I sort of equated it to what, uh, what's that drug they give kids to Ritalin? Uh, because yeah. it makes them focus on one thing, you know, instead of being skitzy. Right, right. And uh, right. it worked for him. <laughs> so. Right. And, and, and those, those really shouldn't be considered a nutraceutical. That, that, that is, you know, a herbal, uh, a botanical, um, uh, medicinal. And, you know, well, there so is, is not... marijuana. Exactly. And, and, you know, exactly. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's highly effective for a number of things. And, right. 
the, the biggest thing is a lot of these haven't been tried in animals or the horse or, you know, under those circumstances. So always know about drug interactions with, uh, with, with, with other uh, drugs um, and their effect on that in itself. Well, you know, I, I mean, you're right. Marijuana is highly effective for helping you get through college. <laughs> I have, I have many, many, many colleagues that needed it. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, you now know, that I've taken this show right down the drain, <laughs> we can just relabel it from from drug uh, botanicals. <laughs> there you go. That's a well, whole other show. Well, well, you know, and and, and those are uh, things. So we need to define, uh, you know, uh, cases of nutraceutical. Nutraceuticals should not be um, uh, considered uh, botanical and herbal uh, uh, medicinals, and uh, they are being added to some of these nutraceuticals. Uh, so the the definition, uh, the 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 um, the word nutraceutical is being um, uh, redefined, and uh, that needs to be. That's one of the concerns I have about uh, uh, making a word. It, in making it too generalized, people need to be very specific and understand. But of course, there's less, there's very little regulation, and putting some of these together, these herbals are not necessarily FDA approved and not very well understood. So you mix those, all this other stuff, and you know, sooner or later, you do run into a real negative drug interaction, and that's happened. It's been many, many times over the years. Um, We've had nutraceuticals, um, medicinals, I, I should say uh, botanicals and herbals that have interfered with the uh, drug treatment by a veterinarian and the animal has suffered for it. And uh, so big problem, big big concerns. And my most of us don't know really how they work well because they haven't been researched. And that's the big thing about nutraceuticals is that some are researched well and for the... Uh, and for the purpose that, that they were designed for, unfortunately, a lot of people will work for panacea problems, and the companies would love that to happen. Right. And because of that lack of regulation and understanding, uh, people are buying into a bunch of stuff that doesn't work. And my advice is, is if you're going to use products for joint supplements and hoof supplements, that you buy a, the, the industry, the 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 com- from the company, the manufacturer that is, um, uh, sets the bar, the industry standard for the product that has done the research. And because there is no regulation of, of, about quality control other than, uh, so when people go to buy Cosequin, which really set the gold standard for nutraceuticals and joint supplements, they did a, put a, invested a tremendous amount of money, market, it, money into their research. And they got some decent results. But everybody else, uh, the other manufacturers jumped on the bandwagon, saying oh, they had the same product, they had the same types of stuff in it, but they and they enhanced it with MSM and these other these other additives. But nobody but they didn't go on and say their product was as good, there was no quality and were they actually putting in what they said that they're putting in and there's been some um, some really revealing things over the last few years you know, a lot of these companies that were trying to compete with the Cosequin market, you know, they they were producing junk, and people thought it was working as well as Cosequin or better. Mm. So, 
you know, that's uh, a big, big concern and advice to clients is stick with the manufacturers that have put the time and effort into research. Make sure that you can understand the research that you ask your veterinary professional again, because that's one of the things that we're trained in doing is is the, the body of evidence to say a product is good or not. Will you recommend it if you've got a client and a horse who you think needs it, would or if they talk to you I about do. it, will you yes, engage them in discussion about these and, and kind of lend your advice? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I do, and I usually when I recommend something, if it's like a like a joint supplement, there's been some very good evidence that glucosamine at uh, 10,000 units um, per day. Um, is um, a helpful nutraceutical to joint damage. And that's a generic product. You can buy that from anyone as long as you're confident that that manufacturer is, you know, producing a good glucosamine product. And then there's, um, you know, Cosequin, which um, they they really stand by their manufacturing process and the quality control that goes into saying, you know, what they put into their product to leave air. And and those and, and there's some you know good body of evidence and research to support that manufacturer and, and their practices, but there's a lot of there's an awful lot of companies out there that are trying to underprice, and they just haven't done it. You say, well, you know, it's the same thing. It's got 10,000 milligrams of chondroitin sulfate and you know, 10,000 of glucosamine, and uh, that's um, you know Acme um, brand. Uh, that's Acme brand. Why shouldn't we buy that? It's you know uh, you know 100 cheaper a month and do you really know it's what what it is nobody nobody tests those things and um some are probably okay and some are not and you just don't know that that's why i say stick to the brands that have done the research and the time and stay away from all the others because they're just again no regulation on the on that industry or virtually no regulation on that industry okay all right. good advice uh, we we got an email from a, a listener, take it a little bit different direction, that said, uh, my neighbor's horse had a hoof abscess. She says it happens once a year in the springtime. What might be the cause of this? That's an excellent question. That does happen. Um, really? Cyclically, I, yeah, cyclically some, from some horses. And it's usually twofold. A um, One is environment. Uh, that horse staying in the same environment year after year um, and the allowance of that hoof to develop cavities um, in the hoof and that in part is associated with the owner being due diligent about making sure that their horse's feet are getting proper care and timely care and uh, sometimes the um, hoof provider the horseshoe or the, the horse trimmer some are more uh, diligent about discovering cavity and feet than others. Some will see a big, huge uh, cavity, cavity, cavity or cavitation or separation in the hoof wall, in the lamina, and uh, not probe the depth of the uh, recess uh, where the dirt is packed in and things like that. And one of the things I do in my practice is um, when I work with farriers um, who have um, take care of patients of mine that have chronic hoof problems, either from the environment or, uh, or, or poor quality and are more subject to abscessation, is teach them that when they come to trim the horse on a routine basis, that they uh, probe all of those. And I give them hypodermic needles 
not that they need it um, sometimes because they act as <clears throat> a great uh, tool to drill and find the depth of those. And if they find that they're deep, and I, the reason I do that is because they often put a shoe over these cavities, and of course that just seals in perfect environment for a cavity to, to get deeper and worse, like a like a, the teeth of a uh, of a human. Right. You know, cavities. Uh, the hoof is no is not much different. That cavity when cavities form, that's where bacteria set up, and the bacteria, fungal organisms, and the byproducts often are able to eat into that collagen and work their way into the sensitive tissue where the body recognizes that there's a foreign body in there and attack it to uh, try to clean it out and get get the infection out. The difference is you don't carry one of those nasty-sounding drills like the dentist does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I do. I, I actually do. Oh, wow. <laughs> you didn't have to tell me that. Uh, you know, I got a question. We had Percherons, and uh, Percherons are my like favorite breed of horse. And we had one that ended up with, and I'm sure you've heard of this, Percherons are predisposed to having these chronic abscess, and they'll get it in like one foot, and I, I don't know if it's called canker, or, uh, but but the, it, they just get channels through their foot, and we had one that had that, and it was a heck of a fight, and we yeah. ended up, we, we, we talked to veterinarians, numerous veterinarians and farriers and everything, and then my wife one day said, this, we're going to have to put this horse down unless I try this, and she just started soaking them, and she made this lime slurry yep, and yep. she started and that was an old thing she had read in like a 1900 vet book and cured it in about a month now i'm recommending people do that um oh. but uh it was it is amazing sometimes what things do work you know <laughs> well it, it is and and then you back out of um a discovery like that um a, you know reinvention of something that had had once been in favor you know um and you you back that out with a little bit of um, um, physics and chemistry understanding, a little bit bio, biochemistry understanding, and sometimes you actually can understand why it, the the environment that you are putting them into that that slurry could be um, you know um, be more and have a and be able to penetrate into the deep recesses of that infection and create an environment that not conducive to the you know the fungi and the bacteria growing um, at the same time not damaging the healthy epithelium in the area so there are you know some great old remedies that are out there and in time in any of them stick around a number of us and I use a bunch of old remedies again um, but I, uh, a lot of which I have come to a theory of why they work so effectively. And so we can't forget ancient medicine. I, those things are really important. But um, it's always nice to understand, well, why do they work? Because in the past, nobody really could answer those questions. Now we have a lot of tools in which we can say, well, we believe it works because of this reason, uh, because people have taken another step and understood why. That's a very, very good point. I think I'm going to latch onto this and, and research it further. So these old remedies work. So oh, yes. of good many, many of them work. They didn't know why they work now, but because we have such um, an knowledge of the biomechanics and the chemistry of the way our horses' bodies work and even our own bodies, that we can actually – we can understand why they work and say, yes, this makes yep. sense. This doesn't some somebody trying to sell me a bucket of goods. This is That's actually right. and there's just, an effective. There's just so much, so much medicine that 
have come to understood because you know they worked generations or of years ago that uh, and those have been the basis for the exploration of Western medicine and trying to produce products to, trying to refine it to something of what the basic principle is under uh, underlying why those work that's that is the premise for Western medicine developing fixing okay. problems and um, they say well why did the remedy work well you don't need you know the tar whiskey what you really need is the you know the acid nature of the product that type of thing right uh, although the whisk good to have around <laughs> yeah the whiskey's good for the person i've got a i've got a wonderful old uh, poultice remedy i learned um, and this is this is one that i can tell all your listeners because it's a wonderful poultice for hoof abscesses and uh, softening the foot as well as drying it and i learned this oh i was uh, probably 15 years old and i worked at myopia by the way and i um um, and it came to bear because a horse got a hoof abscess, and I watched it very closely and never forgot it. Um, it was the brand poultice, and the brand poultice uh, was a you know it's a substance that holds moisture, uh, and it dries. When it dries, it actually draws moisture from the environment and then dries out secondarily. So you <clears throat> you would moisten bran with <clears throat> uh, one ounce of uh, uh, papaya juice. Or, or I'm sorry, pulp uh, juice, or you can also use papaya. Anything that has papain, enzy- um, papain um, um, uh, enzyme in it. So um, uh, pineapple juice has that papain. And so then, you, you were talking like bran mash, like bran bran. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You take a wheat, a good old-fashioned wheat bran. Okay. That you would feed a horse, and because it's it's around, you would put one ounce of pineapple juice and one ounce of whiskey and um, add just enough warm water to it just to make it moist, pack it into the you know deep uh, sole and recesses of the foot, and wrap it up with a burlap bag. Um, and what that did is um, the burlap bag you know would uh, would breathe so the uh, it would eventually as as it was drying, it was drawing on the um, tissues around it. And was was wet to begin with to soften everything, but then it would dry out slowly and have a drawing-like effect, um, sort of hydroscopic effect. And then the um, pineapple juice with its enzyme in it would help to um, get into these deeper recesses and actually um, um, eat away at the collagen a little bit so that any of these recesses would be opened up a little bit. This is the this is what I was told, and then the whiskey was to sanitize, uh, you know, to put some alcohol to offer some sanitation, but it was also good for the person making the poultice. Well, I was just going to say, and then the person could drink the rest of the whiskey and not care whether the horse yeah. got better or not. That's for you, and that's for me, and everybody. Everybody's happy. Wanna, and they walk away. I want to know how a fifteen-year-old ended up with the whiskey at, uh, in the barn. That's well, what it I was. Myopia, after all. <laughs> But, it, but it, works very, it works very well. If you ever do that, you take off that whole thing the next day. You leave it on for 18 to 24 hours, and you take it off, and all of a sudden you have this very soft sole, um, and it's very easy to dig at. And if there was any real hard sole um, that was keeping the pus from coming through, it softened it enough and at the same time drew on that pus. Pocket. So sometimes you 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 wake you, you take off the bandage you see this hunk of, you know hunk of puffs sitting right in the brand. 
and, wow. uh, and, and, that, and it showed you just where it was. Now, that poultice has worked better than all of the other medicated poultices that are on the market that I can find. And I, I, I go back to that all the time when people have brand in the barn. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll put that in the show notes. I'll uh, type that up and put it in the show notes at stablescoop.com. So anybody wants, there's the big advice for the day. We can just cut out the rest of the show. Okay. And I have all the ingredients. I just need to go get a burlap bag. <laughs> well, the burlap was, you know, everybody, uh, that's one of the problems is that they don't have burlap anymore. No. You don't really have a cover that works as effectively. I do use uh, baby diapers, and I do cover the foot with tape on the bottom, but I try to leave as, as much uh, duct tape off the sides and the upper part so that um, the moisture can evaporate. You know, um, uh, That's right. You wouldn't externally. want to duct tape the whole thing, or you, you've just, it just sealed it in. Yeah. yeah, sealing a lot of moisture, and it, it's not drying up fast enough. Huh. Yeah. All right, we're putting definitely putting that in the show notes. Yeah, like that. that's and interesting. It's affordable too. I like to have these alternatives because you know everybody well, wants to it. sell you everything. They want to put a name on it, they want to brand it, and then they want to charge you a hundred dollars for it. And oh yes, yeah, and there's all of that stuff out there. And um, the other the alternative for the whiskey is Listerine. Uh, they, oh well, that's uh, not nearly as fun. Yeah. It's not as fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and every old barn had a bottle of whiskey. You know. Well, and you would have, you, you don't want to buy the little bottle either. You have to buy the big bottle just in you case it doesn't have, work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a trend I think needs to come back. We'll get, yeah, we'll get started on that. Treat the poor horse owner that couldn't ride his horse because he had a hoof, uh, hoof abscess. There's going to be plenty around for everybody. Well, we're a good gang tonight. I got uh, feeding my horse Kava Kava, pouring lime on the feet, and uh, us drinking whiskey. We just got the. This is is this a vet show? Let me think about that. I got I do have one question. You got to watch out who you ask on the show. <laughs> Before we get to the last one, I do have one question. This one's Helena's going to know why I'm asking this question because uh, I've had lots of personal experience with it. Lyme disease. Right. Of course, horses get it, people get it. I had it really bad um, and still do. I mean, I'm still fighting it. And I know there's lots of medical doctors out there that do not believe that chronic Lyme disease exists. Right, right. Uh, Or at least I think there's a lot of medical doctors that do believe it exists. There's a lot of insurance companies that don't believe it exists. Um, Now, so what are your thoughts? You know, have you seen horses that you really believe that the, the round of antibiotics didn't work and that they're really fighting this? Um, yes, uh, and, and I, I deal with it a lot because I'm in the Northeast and it's endemic. In, well, and it's in, spreading in, across the country. It's everywhere now. It, it, it is, yeah. uh, but it's uh, certainly endemic in the Northeast and, you know, Connecticut and Massachusetts and it's way up uh, further up north and certainly west and south. But um, it's so endemic in our community that... Um, um, there has been uh, there was some study done where, um, and this is a couple of years ago, and they think that it's growing. Is that you know 40 percent of the tick uh, of the of the deer tick population is uh, now um, has the Borrelia burgdorferi in it, and so that's just a huge number. So that's almost one out of uh, one out of every two ticks actually carries. And there is um, there is validity to that. You have to be you have to, the tick has to be embedded in you, you know, for more than 18 hours to really transmit the disease. But it's also very true that a lot of people, these, some of these ticks are so small, or people are so insensitive that they don't find the t- tick on them. They've uh, they've been they've been pulled off somehow or brushed off. They don't always find the tick. 
I've, I've, I've suffered from the disease two times myself, both caught and treated, and I'm not uh, experiencing any secondary uh, effects. But um, there are other things that need to be, and I agree that most human doctors up in this area, although they are, are, don't have a lot of experience with it, there are some that are um, uh, have a great experience and there's some that are not, but the AMA has set guidelines for um, the, the medical community and have taken a position which is not um, popular position with people in endemic areas. And uh, because the, uh, the people in these areas um, uh, in, in a lot of the medical community just don't, don't, don't believe um, the, the results are um, as good as they should be. Well, and to be so, clear, the AMA is coming out and saying basically it doesn't exist to give them three weeks of antibiotics and that's it. And if they're not better, it's something else. And, yeah. and you know, for those of us that have lived through this and, you know, in my case, they think it was probably a year or two before, you know, that that I before I was ever treated and that the symptoms got really bad. Well, um, exactly. And, and I've had a number of people, clients, and so the question of course is does this is does this uh, is this similar phenomenon in, in horses. horses yeah and the answer is we don't know um, there has been uh, Cornell and University of Connecticut have done some excellent studies none of which have confirmed that there is a form of chronic, a chronic Lyme's disease in horses so there isn't enough research to support that chronic Lyme's disease can occur in horses the um, I think most of the practitioners in the area, like myself, are we take we we've taken a position where we listen to the client. We know that the animals have been affected and infect you know with ticks. We'll test for them and we'll sometimes see titers and sometimes not. I am not by the belief to treat a titer. Um, an, antibody, uh, an antibody titer. I think that there is a lot of horses in our region that have developed an effective immunity to fight off the disease or fight off the symptoms of the disease. Um, they still may be harboring um, a, a living um, a Borrelia organism in themselves, but they're able to function completely normally, that their infection is subclinical, and that um, their titer, um, their, their antibodies that they're producing, or some of the immune system byproducts that it be it immune complexes or some other aspect of their immune system, are effectively holding that disease at bay. And they've they have been able to the they the uh, researchers at Cornell and have been able to uh, uh, from horses that have been artificially infected. Uh, horses don't carry a load large enough in their bodies to be able to transmit it to another, into another um, uh, horse. So that's something that has been discovered. So when I have a horse that is showing um, anything from behavioral changes to unsoundnesses and unexplained behavior, um, um, locomotion, and I usually always do a titer on the horse, um, and then, uh, regardless of the, um, 
if the tighter says negative, then I will repeat it and I'll talk to the owner if they're really adamant that I put them on antibiotics. I will I will do that. Um, uh, at the same time, if I have a high titer and the horse is asymptomatic, I will tell the owner that um, if your horse is showing symptoms uh, that could be described as potential Lyme's disease with this high titer, I would have no problem treating your horse with antibiotics. Although I prefer to treat symptoms and see if you have a response to therapy as opposed to just treating a titer. So is that clear? Yes, yep. that's clear. And I agree with you. You know, there's a lot of horses that do test uh, and, you know, they were testing and, you know, for something else or whatever, and they find they do have it. And I think it's probably true in people, too. There's people that can fight it off better than other people. And then uh, those, those of us that probably had a, a compromised immune system from something else right. uh, got it worse, you know. Um, and, and so I've had the experience with several patients that um, after treating the, their titers and their, um, these are horses with titers that I'm talking about and mm-hmm. with uh, potential clinical symptoms that could be related to Lyme's as, as described with antibiotics. I have had um, some patients that have been on medication for nine at a time and they're... Um, titers will not drop from, and the horses have been on doxycycline by itself. Yeah, that's, that's what And it's on. very interesting. So the question is, how are, is the drug being absorbed in these horses, in this horse, in these horses? So I've gone as far as now um, uh, saying, well, let's see if we are getting the true blood levels of the doxycycline into this uh, and, and sending out a, a um, study for the drug. And well, does does it uh, are horses' immune systems um, differently qualified to deal with the different kinds of offenders? You know, like like humans potentially, are. Potentially, but potentially, but we don't know. Uh, and it's and it's you know there are you know the deer out there, um, the sheep, goats, cats. Um, very few of them um, show clinical signs of Lyme's disease. They all come in contact with that organism. You know, they're all getting bit. So, yes, uh, there, it, it's, it's reasonable to think that the animal, the horse, uh, is that there is a population, a large population that is clinically uh, uh, unaffected by them. But if you were to cow or sheep or goat, you would probably pick up um, some type of, um, uh, if they have the right part, pick up that they, 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 they've been exposed to the organism. All right, great. Well, we're plain run out of time. We certainly appreciate you being with us today and spending all this time with us talking about uh, fun stuff. And, uh, you, you know, I hope that we can have you back and, and maybe make this an every couple month kind of thing. I, I think it's uh, you're very informative and it's fun. And I think our audience likes this kind of thing also, talking more about horse health, which Helene and I don't do very often. So. No, Jen and I do. We talk a yeah. lot. Of, then again, we can analyze horse stuff, to, you know, till the cows come home. Well, I'll be happy to be happy to be on it again, and I can also, you know, point you in directions of, uh, you know, authorities on particular issues if you want to. It's it's, it's a fun forum to be on, and it is uh, this is a great idea for a program uh, because it it is it's sort of. It's what I do with a, a, a of a 4-H clubs, uh, sort of a round uh, round table um, discussions with their veterinarian, and, and I enjoy it because 
um, I'm able to interact with those people and hopefully share some reasonable, you know, some some reasonable information that will help them take care of their pets better. Great. And if anything, it'll help um, jumpstart those dialogues that you say are so important to a horse's overall health, you know, between the horse owner and, and their practitioner, the equine practitioner, get the dialogues going to your vets. And, um, right. you know, if we can get our listeners to hear that from you, um, perhaps it'll, you know, it'll help make at least one his life just a little bit better. Hey, Dr. Perry, you want to give out your, uh, your, your contact information, your website? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, my website is parrotequine.com. That's P-A-R-R-O-T-T. Okay, yep. parrotequine.com. And the phone number? Is 978-468-6307. And you're on the north shore of Boston, uh, there uh, in Massachusetts. That, that's absolutely correct. All right, oh, well, thank you, Dr. Parrot. Oh, you're very welcome. It was nice talking with you. Very, uh, very clear question, so... One more thing before we go today, I'm going to read you an email that we got from a listener named Sophie. And uh, let me tell you, this is, Glenn and I don't get a heck of a lot out of this show other than pure enjoyment. And it's emails like this that keep us going, that keep us going. It's just, it's wonderful. So Sophie writes, hi all, I hail from the dusty land of Down Under and I am a fellow horse lover and rider. I found your show on the net sometime late last year and I love it. Considering the extreme lack of horse-related items on television, the free-to-air coverage of the Beijing Olympic equestrian events here was shameful. And radio, it's great to find something like the Stable Scoop Show that provides horsey discussions through another means than traditional print media and websites. Just recently, my mom and I have completed the purchase of our first horse, a fantastic Morgan gelding named Samaria Creek Zephyr. We live in Sydney, that's Australia, and Zeph is going to be spending the first three years of his life on the stud in Victoria, so your show is a godsend for the nine-hour drive down to see him. And of course, we were thrilled to see that the latest Stable Scoop episode features Morgans. You can just put us down as recent international converts to the breed. Keep up the good work, because I'm not going to stop listening. Sophie from Sydney, Australia. Well, that's a great email. I'll tell you what, uh, we're glad that we have, we know we have listeners in many countries and it's good to hear from them. And, uh, you know, that's why we do it in podcast form and why we do audio, not video, is so that people can listen while they're driving to see their horse. Yeah. You know, that, or, or cleaning their stalls or, you know, whatever, that they, they couldn't watch a video at the same time. So that's why we, we do audio and why we believe in it. And I, the Morgan Show was very popular. I have to say, I just got an email from, from uh, Julie Broadway, who was on the show, was our co-host last week it was the executive director of the american morgan horse association and she wrote to me today that say folks her morgan people just love the show so she's getting a lot of good feedback from that show so if you haven't heard the morgan episode and the cutest interview in the history of horse radio network was on last week's show it was by far the cutest interview you know jennifer listened to that and she just melted i mean it is just the I don't know how else to describe it. That was one heck of a kid. She was a fourth grader on the show last week, and you have to listen to the last week's show. It's the Morgan Show. Just look for it on the website at stablescoop.com. Well, Helena, we have plain run out of time. And besides, the sooner we end, the sooner you get on a plane and come down and see us. So. so, (laughs) 
So I wanted to mention to everybody, next week we're going to have a very special show. We have Helena with us, who's going to be here at our house. And coming over to the house, too, is Chris, my co-host from the eventing show, and also our eventer helper who's doing the play-by-play with us this next week, uh, Samantha, who's going to be here also, and my wife Jennifer. And we're going to have a big roundtable wine and cheese party show talking about Rolex and reminiscing and talking about the event and everything that happened. So you'll get more of the personal side of it in our after show show, which was what we'll do next week on Stable Scoop and the eventing radio show. We'll put it out on both. But we can all sit around, drink some wine, and and chat about Rolex. I think that sounds like fun, Helena. Are we, we're going to record that? Yeah, we're, that's right. That's right. <laughs> wine and cheese? Okay. And you know what? I'm not going to edit it either. What goes in, goes in. What comes out, comes out. So You would never... <laughs> All right, fine. What, what goes in comes out. That's fine. That's fine. I, I said that wrong, didn't I? I'm not responsible for anything I say. All right, everybody, send us emails if you want. Just go to the website and hit the contact button at the top of the page. And Helena, we will see you in a couple days here in Lexington, Kentucky. And we'll be back next week with the Kentucky Scoop. Mm-hmm.